Previously on Overthinking It Recap 24. I'm okay, Pete, but uh, where where have you been for the last five years? It's about 11 a.m. I'm eating some cashews. These two episodes of 24 don't know how much danger they are in, because we have a set of skills that we've developed uh, as, as recappers of television shows. When the president was talking about having Alzheimer's disease. Yep. Yeah, yep, exactly. You felt the same That's way. Exactly, exactly what I wrote down. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep. I, I wrote down my Downton seed, yeah. and then quote, "It's progressing a lot faster than the doctors anticipated, more than on other podcasts I'm aware of 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 the time because the clock is ticking." <laughs> so here's my um, here's my crazy theory for the day. Catelyn Stark is working with the Prime Minister of Britain. That yes, Stephen Fry. I think that's a really good guess. <laughs> yeah. That's an ex. That's an extra. I, yeah, I think you just nailed it. <laughs> you want to go to lunch, Ryan? following takes place between 1 p.m. and 2 p.m. Recaps happen in real time. Oh, man, those were some good steak tips. Whew. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you liked your steak tips. I, I went for Chipotle, which I th- felt like a good idea at the time, uh, but I'm feeling, like, pretty sleepy now. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's 2 p.m. Uh, I, don't, I don't it, know what time it is. I don't know no. what time it is. <laughs> No, it's 1 p.m., Ryan. It's 1 p.m. It's good. That's the thing is, this Chipotle is so heavy, I, I feel like I've jumped forward an hour. <laughs> no, well, we're going to jump forward an hour now because we're going to spend the next hour in our overthinking it real-time TV recap of 24. Uh, 24, live another day. I'm Pete Fenzel. This is Ryan Sheely. We just got back from lunch. Uh, episode yeah. 1 of 24 took us from tw- 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, so we recorded for about an hour, and then we took an hour lunch. We ate on opposite sides of the street, where Ryan went to the Chipotle, and I stayed at Tavern, and I got some steak tips with honey bourbon barbecue sauce, uh, which I think Ryan was a little day class A for going to Chipotle, but it's hard to blame him. So. I mean, look, I just I thought it would be fast. You know, listen, we're doing these recaps in real time, so I just felt like I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> and so when I don't have a lot of time is when I go to Chipotle. Um, but I'm, I'm just regretting – I mean, that's the thing is you make – decisions in the moment um uh, of with the information that you have at hand and then the whole situation the whole landscape changes i didn't know how i would be feeling right now when sitting down now um and you know an hour after eating this burrito from chipotle uh, my um you know my my beef uh my beef burrito and i just feel i feel like really really tired i'm probably gonna need to to get some coffee at some point get my afternoon coffee pretty soon yeah no of course of course that's something that's gonna happen but first we have to talk about this latest episode of 24 which extends from the events of 1 p.m to 2 p.m uh presumably greenwich uh, british summertime (laughs) i suppose because it seems to be taking place in the spring yeah i'd say uh, british summertime is a good guess yes so i know that we often start these recaps by talking about the downton abbey moment right which we describe as the moment in a television show where a conversation unrelated to the main plot provides a doorway of interpretation to the entire rest of the episode right right and i'm gonna go out on a limb for this episode and say that the downton abbey moment was when the yorkshire widow spoke to the husband of her daughter about her marital problems we had like a literal we went to downton abbey we went to like terrorist <laughs> downton abbey this episode <laughs> I, I can only hope there's like terrorist Carson and terrorist Daisy. Terrorist, da- yeah, yeah, terrorist Dame Maggie Smith. Yeah, indeed, indeed. 
<laughs> oh, man, that's right, that's right. All of your suspicions, by the way, that the first act villain of 24 Live Another Day was going to be an Oxonian who was rebelling against the government for cutting the funding for the university system were shattered when it was revealed that it is yet again Al-Qaeda terrorists who are driving at least this portion of the well, story and, so far. And I think that once they kind of uh, teased that out, then also confirmed that it is going to be following the predicted structure. Because right, it's yeah. the, the ultimate bad guy is never uh, someone with a with a hyphenated name that starts with Al. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, like like once they like you know you because if that were the case, you know you could say, all oh, right, this might be a slightly different structure. Um, you know, this is a twelve episode season, and so you could wonder whether they will you know play with the format. And it's, you know something we talked about um you know uh before lunch uh was um well we didn't was... talk about anything during lunch because you were in the chipotle but Look, anyway continue. Pete, we are gonna be we're gonna be recapping all day all right <laughs> this, <laughs> this is gonna be a long one the, this is gonna be the longest day of our, our of our recapping lives yeah. and so we're gonna occasionally need to um go our separate ways we may need to recap separately we may need to recap via comm unit we don't know <laughs> what this what this recapping day holds in store all for right. us and so you know like we I just wanted to, you know, go our separate ways. You know, we're it's going to be a long day, and so we're back. I'm feeling, you know, uh, you know, refreshed, not energized, really. Anyhow, before lunch, um, we were talking about how, um, uh, uh, how, how the uh, the noon to one p.m. episode. Uh, really was, you know, showing, I, I feel like hitting a lot of the marks of 24 and, and really feeling like in some ways that the series had picked up without uh, too many losses and steps and there weren't a lot of changes, right? This wasn't, um, you know, oh, 24 is back, but it is a, it is not a 24 show. Um, this is, uh, is, you know, very much a 24 show. And, and I feel like this was affirmed, um, in this, in this episode of, you know, once Chloe is magically, you know, in fact, getting better and faster information from her, like, you know, hacker on the go unit than she ever did at a desk at CTU, right? <laughs> like, uh, and, and kind of expositioning, uh, by, by, uh, intelligence, uh, by surveillance, uh, you know, and, and then once we learn that this is a, what, um, a, a widow of a of a terrorist who was killed in a drone strike um that like you know again that only goes to like buttress that in about three episodes they'll be gone right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly or that yeah that she'll turn out to be working for somebody else or there'll be some other sort of reversal or something right, else right. is happening right there will be yeah. somebody pulling those strings yeah. uh and yeah. yeah we're gonna keep going up the up the ladder but but we're happy to know what which rung we are on right now yeah. We, one thing we do know, though, one thing we did know that's already a reversal that we discovered is that the terrorist plot is not what Jack Power thinks the terrorist plot is. Right? Like, so, and we, we know this because we saw the targeting screen in the terrorist computers, and we saw where they were aiming the Hellfire missiles from the drones. Uh, Jack, for some, I, I don't remember exactly how or why Jack knows that this is an assassination attempt on the president. Uh, but what Jack doesn't know is that they're also going to try to assassinate the prime minister. They're going to try to blow up a parliament. They're going to shoot uh, – they're going to blow up a stadium full of people, right? Like all of these little targets were noted. And, of course, when uh, when when Crazy Eyes make Crazy Eyes was like looking at the computer screen and was like, oh, you've got the targets all programmed. I mean it wasn't like I had to pause it like Captain America 2 and like read all the names of all the fan services. But it went by pretty fast. It was like four or five different targets. So it's a much larger scale attack 
than uh, what Jack Bauer thinks it is. Or, so there's definitely something – when you ask yourself, okay, well, who's the big bad in this episode going to be um, or in this season going to be? One thing is that the, whoever it is is somehow connected to a massive strike across London uh, on a variety right. of different sorts of targets. Which is, of course, again, very par for the course. You're totally right. Now, like, we are, we are in 24 land. We think that it's going to be about these two planes that are going to hit each other, right, in, like, a classic 24 example. But it actually turns out it's going to be every plane that's going to hit each other, right, or something along those lines. We think one and, person And there's, a, like, a shadowy corporate conspiracy, right? <laughs> well, yeah, there always is a shadowy corporate conspiracy. There's always, like, uh, although there's a couple of them where it goes, like, they, they loop back on themselves. Right, where it'll the, be the, like, the, right the, 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 the shadowy corporate conspiracy is, like, being managed by out Kinda. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where like like some random Al Qaeda guy is actually running the whole thing, or yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. So so we are following we are following what's going on. Um, we we and so so Jack has been tracking the daughter of the of the widow, and her name is uh, Margot Al Harazi, right? They're she's right. tracking the Al Harazis. Uh, Margot, I think, is. The, is either the daughter or the mom. It, the Margot is Caitlin Stark. Okay, yeah, so Margot Alharazi is, is, is mother. Is mother. Okay, mother. So he's tra- he's tracking mother's daughter, and Chloe misses a step because we then get some instant exposition that Chloe's family is dead. So dead, which is so sad. Uh, I liked Morris a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, no. Do, do you remember Morris at all, Ryan? So my, I don't know if we've actually talked about this. I'm kind of a a patchy twenty four. So I'm <laughs> I'm seasons one and two, and then um and then redemption on. Uh, <laughs> so I have I have like three to four days of of Jack Bauer uh, that um I've not spent a lot of time with. So I think I've seen Morris um a little bit in um in days like seven and eight. Um, uh, but I I probably don't have some of the kind of core Morris days. Um, and so, <laughs> and the time indeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. Morris day is always dealing with Morris's day is always dealing with the time. Uh, jungle love. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. So, so Morris is a beloved character, but he's, I mean, he's a beloved character, but his, you know, his purpose in the show is a little bit of comic relief and he's, he's totally a character that could totally have gotten killed. Right. And it's not like a, I'm not saying it's not a huge loss. It's a huge loss, but it's like, um, oh, that was a guy that we really cared about. Like when, like when Michelle got killed, right? Right. Uh, well, when Michelle almost got killed, and it was like the entire plot of a season to try to prevent Michelle from getting killed, and then like at the beginning of the next season, Michelle got killed, <laughs> right? And it's like that's something that Twenty Four loves to do. I think is uh, just like uh, totally concede whatever it was the goal of the previous season was, like immediately upon the beginning of the next yeah, season, yeah. such as like the life of the president, the integrity of the democratic process, right? Like the yeah. lives of our loved ones. It's like, no, this is how the stakes have raised. You know, the things you thought were important before. Well, now it's a whole new ball right. game. Like, like that's, that's what's happening in the first episode. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and now, now let us like reset the table. Yes. Uh, of course, then another very 24 thing would be for like Morris to come back as the big bad for this. Yeah. Season, right? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't killed by that car. I, I I slipped underneath it and went to a trap door at the last minute. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So wait. So t- so tell me a little bit about um why th- this uh, you know why the a- why the literal um Downton Abbey scene is our our figurative uh, Downton Abbey scene and what what kind of themes uh, of the episode do you think that this is um, illuminating? Well, um, I think uh, well, one of the one of the things that I think the the scene the show. Um, I mean, I, I do think that the actual Downton Abbey scene is the scene where they're talking about uh, Morris, 
Right. Yeah. Uh, although that's more about a discussion of the entire season, where Jack Jack says yeah. to Chloe, "You can't bring back the ones you love, but you can honor their lives by helping others." Right. Which is a really again, twenty four has this. There's this specific sort of twenty four irony, which I just I want to have like I want to have a term for it, but I haven't figured it out yet. So let's let's have like a running conversation of like how to do, what term to use for this sort of twenty four irony, right? But a twenty four irony is when you bemoan the impossibility or problematicness of something that you really like value or want to do and you sort of like mo- you, you mourn and grieve for like a, a, a wrong in the world or an injustice and then you like immediately indulge in that thing as if you didn't care about it at all right like, like simultaneously the big one is sort of like when people are like oh you know we can't torture this guy oh I feel terrible we'll be just as bad as them and then they torture him right, right. like and it's like you're both the show is both like condemning this thing that's happening and also like making you uncomfortable and upset by making you watch it and also like totally indulging in it right so when jack bauer is saying like you can't bring back the ones you love you just did they're in the car right like jack and chloe are in the car and i mean partially they're talking about their relationship uh, I mean, right. it's kind of Bowery. It's Bowery and irony. Yes, right? Bowery and irony is uh, is uh, the the irony of of like very being very grizzled and very disenchanted with the thing that you claim to be very reluctantly doing, but are in fact like totally, totally on board with. So. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and again, ultimately, the ultimate Bowery and irony is in a way is is another season of Twenty Four. Um, yeah. but because I, 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 what's interesting is as you enact it, you are also no longer grizzled you are like at w- once you're doing it again you're like you know what this is where i should be yeah. um, and you might feel grizzled you might feel tired and, and that you've been doing this again and again and that you may not have the stamina like that you shouldn't have eaten that chipotle burrito you should have gone uh for steak tips with your friends but but you're still you did it and you're in it uh yeah. and, and i feel like that's the kind of um like th- that that's one element of this bowerian irony that i think yeah. will kind of tease out and um and and analyze a little more as the uh, as as the day unfolds. I mean the other the other Downton Abbey-ish kind of moment that does happen in the Downton actual Downton Abbey conversation, right? The actual Yorkshire widow conversation, which is when uh, um, Margot Al uh, gosh, I'm going to get it right, Margot oh. Al Harazi. And thank you right. by the way for the reader who pointed out that the president's name is not Reigns but Heller. And that Reigns was Audrey's married name. Audrey was born Audrey Heller. She married uh, Rain Claude Reigns, not Claude Reigns. She married a guy. <laughs> <laughs> she married Tim Reigns. Uh, <laughs> she married uh, a guy named Reigns, who was also uh, the, the guy who played she, uh, she Cromwell the, in the Tudors. The Prince album, Purple Rain. Indeed, uh, <laughs> indeed, indeed. And then she became Audrey Reigns, and now she's married to um, to Mark uh, Baudreau. Baudreau. So she's Audrey Baudreau. Uh, but anyway, so Margot Alarazi is talking to Navid and is saying to Navid that, that he has to be okay with the fact that his wife slept with this guy. Not just slept with him, but had like an extended affair with, uh, with, um, uh, with Yates, right? With, um, with, uh, is it? I keep wanting to say Brendan Yates, but it's not that because I have a friend because we all both know Brendan Bates. But uh, anyway, we're, we're following it through. So Yates, the guy who died in the first episode, uh, is Derek. Derek, Derek, Derek Yates. Yates. Derek Yates. Thank you. So 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 daughter slept with Derek Yates, 
And Navid is upset because daughter has not only slept with him, but has been gone for three weeks conducting a relationship with him. And he does not want to have sex with her when she comes back, probably because he has some sort of like old world notion of her womb being polluted or there's a similar sort right. of anxiety. Because he's like basically like emotionally a high schooler in which like th- a three week relationship is like forever. Yeah, right? yeah. Or at least like, but, but it was almost our month long anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you made out with that guy under the bleachers. Can't believe you made out with Derek Yates under the bleachers. Um, yeah, I hope there's a whole hour that's like Naveed writing emo songs. <laughs> <laughs> Naveed board confessional. But yeah. yes, uh, so, <laughs> but he, this, so, is, this is not a drone strike. It's an arms race. <laughs> Fallout, um, Fallout, Naveed. <laughs> Fallout, Naveed. Definitely. Um, so yeah, so it's um. So, but Naveed becomes very, very quickly one of the more complex characters in 24 history by having conflicted notions about why he might be upset that aren't entirely obvious at first, right? And are not simply just being withheld from the reader for dramatic purposes. Naveed, so uh, Margot Al-Harazi thinks that Naveed is upset and won't have sex with uh, her daughter because uh, she has slept with Derek Yates. And he is, she is appealing to his sense of masculinity uh, versus his sense of duty. And his right. commitment to the cause. But we learn later from Navid when we find him drinking, which leads us to think that he is not, in fact, so much of an old-world uh, conservative Muslim guy, but is perhaps more cosmopolitan than we might believe, that he, in fact, does not want to be a terrorist and does not want to murder people. And that that might be really why he's upset. He might be upset, be- you know, maybe he's upset because of the sort of sexual purity issues regarding his, his wife, uh, but maybe he's also upset because of the burning bodies of the women and children he'd be responsible for and, if- and- and the two are, are kind of like, like, re, like reinforcing one another in this kind of Freudian way. Right? Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. Because yeah. that's one other thing that Twenty Four loves to do, which is just create these personal relationships that are very clear microcosms for like the big macrocosm of what is happening in the show, right? Yeah. Like, although they don't, they're not really, they don't tend to be like microcosm macrocosms the way that it was on, say, The Shield, where like you know Vic Mackey would be dealing with a very similar sort of problem with his family, and he's dealing with then a bigger problem with like his bigger family which is the strike team in 24 the problems tend to be like kind of unrelated but they have the same tone yeah right so it's, it's like it's yeah. like you know uh you know jack and audrey they can't connect because jack can't love again because of his wife being dead and all the stuff that he's been through but then he jack also like can't get along with like ctu and with the president and with everybody else but it's like a totally different issue but they take the moment to zoom in on the intimate close relationship to add color and flavor and texture and correspondent levels of meaning to the larger conflict that's going on yeah well and i think that and then another thing that it does and so i actually zoomed in on this scene and some other scenes that kind of got at similar themes about people kind of you know doing or not doing what they're supposed to do or or being told what they're supposed to do and 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 some like ex you know instead uh, some set of incentives being put on that and so i think uh, and, and what i thought about as i was watching navid is that another thing that these kind of personal relationships do is that they give um often the peripheral characters the reason to go rogue in yes. a way and um and that 
and and that there's a different there's a lot of different kinds of I mean I I think that if you know we are th- thinking about um you know we have a whole day or at least half of a day uh, we have we have twelve hours um to uh, uh expound some typologies I think there's also I I would love to start to explore and catalog um ways that one goes rogue in the twenty four universe yeah right sure. and so that and you know I mean it's very common to think about Jack going rogue um in response to a set of orders and you know we see um Kate Morgan going um going rogue in in the jack in the in the jack manner um but i think that something that happens um that drives a lot of of like the urgency in 24 is that someone in an organization in a terrorist organization or a government organization has marching orders from someone up the chain of command uh and because of one of these, either a personal relationship or a personal preference, decides to do it another way, or not do it, or hesitate. Yes. Um. And and we see that. And and I, you know, I feel like this is going to come up with Navid at some point, where he is supposed to do something and he hesitates it or puts in a half measure of some kind, which then creates the next kind of rupture that then must be filled by by jack right that that, that there's kind of this um there, there there's kind of a a dialectic of rogue going where where someone in a um in in a kind of uh a non-jack entity deviates from what they are supposed to do and it, it means that the plan doesn't go according to plan and there's some kind of either something is is happening sooner than later or or later than than usual or somebody dies right that some kind of um you know if, if there is like a domino rally right like if you do you remember the game domino rally yes of course. Was, uh so like you know this is like a the commercialization of the um of the setting up of like chains of dominoes and so it's like you know th- 24 is constantly kind of setting up these like elaborate domino rally courses of things that have to happen. And then somebody um, goes rogue and changes the course. And then Jack kind of reimposes some kind of order, right? He kind of improvises a set of dominoes to, to achieve the, the goal. And, and, and the, I feel like the, the plots often move forward in this way, right? So the thing that was originally supposed to happen in the original plan um, and, and the original kind of bad guy, you know, shifts um, in part by people doing something different than what they are, the, right. what they're supposed to be doing. So I imagine Naveed will be in this role at some point down the road. Yeah, it's so, Naveed totally seems like the kind of character who like a a secondary protagonist will like end up with as sort of an escort mission. Like he'll end up with either like Kate or with Audrey, right? Or like with uh, or like you know Director Navarro will be like you know on the street and he'll have Navid and it's like we got to yeah. keep Navid from getting killed and then Navid will have to pick up a gun and it'll be really awkward because you don't trust him whether he's going to yeah. use it or not. Like that would be the sort of classic twenty four yep. way to and do, then, do this. And then the and then the mole kills Navid. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> then the mole kills Navid at the last point. So, so there's also like so let, let's catalog it because one there I think there's an important part of way of going rogue. Let's start with with um. With Mark, with right. Mark Boudreau, right. yeah. who is going rogue, because Mark Boudreau committed one of the more heinous crimes against uh, the Constitution in this episode that has happened in the history of 24, which is he forged the president's signature to yep. an executive order, uh, which is pretty heavy duty stuff. Uh, I don't recall that happening all that often in the K- in 24s. You got to love the the stakes raising there, and that's because he wants Jack Bauer remanded into custody. Right, uh, remanded into the custody of custody of the Russians, so that they will uh, aggressively interrogate him um, when, upon his 
presumed inevitable capture, right? right. And, uh, and, and it's interesting, and and we'll we'll get to this, but that interestingly, um, and I hadn't noticed this, uh, actually echoes the strategy that uh, that Kate um, adopts with um, oh, oh with the with the drug dealer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Basher, yep. Um, and that that right in the same way, like she basically is uh, remanding Basher to this other gang, right? Um, and, and but obviously, it's you know in some ways it mirrors it, but the stakes are. I mean, on the one hand, it's it's a kind of a same the same kind of game, but uh, but uh, but the um, mark the the mark scene happens at with much higher stakes because he's um, you know going rogue on the president, right? And kind of even though he's authorized as the agent of the president in some respects, he now has like kind of captured that uh, ultimate authority of you know of of the signature of the president, which is the sign of you know where the buck stops, right? So he actually like. He grabbed the buck and, yeah. and, uh, and, 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 and is holding the buck. Yeah. Oh, by the way, one of the fun things about Bashir, of course, is how it's not Bashir. Right. right? Uh, and, of course, uh, Bashir has previously made an appearance on 24. He was in day six uh, back in 2007. Uh, the, the actor, uh, Alexander Siddig, who played uh, – uh, was a great character, Hamri al-Assad, who was a, a – I, I don't want to say a terrorist leader, but he was like he was like a political notch up from a terrorist leader. He was like a Muslim Brotherhood leader who was Got affiliated it. with terrorism, but was like trying to seek a peaceful diplomatic and political solution to the problems that were going on in his country. <laughs> right? Like, he was uh, he was like Stringer Bin Laden. Yeah, indeed, Stringer Bin Laden. Uh, yeah, and he's played by Alexander City, who played Julian Bashir in Deep in Deep Space Nine. But I love how they call this guy Basher, uh, and I hope that that's a, a. I also love his British curse words, right? Yeah. Like. Um, so yeah, so so we have so Mark could be going rogue because he might have nefarious intentions or be connected to the corporate conspiracy. He could also be going rogue the way that Aisha Tyler went rogue uh, early on in twenty four, where he was just like he didn't believe that his superior. He was a, a climber. He didn't believe his superiors had, the, or like how Mike Novak sometimes right. went rogue, yep. like the, yep. the chief of staff, right? Where it's like you thought he was part of the evil conspiracy, but it turned out he just didn't trust his boss, and he was just right. doing things on his own because he believed his own authority was was a better place for things to be happening than his boss's authority, and he also kind of wanted to protect his boss from the things he was doing. Right. Or he could be going rogue the way that. Um, Sort of the way Tony Almeida tended to go rogue early in the show, where it's because he's trying to protect a loved one. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, and so he's he's doing this. He's he's leaving his institutional responsibilities because he wants to protect um, Audrey from the traumatic experience of seeing Jack again and right. presumably being sucked into some sort of explosive car chase or something. Well, and um, it's, but th- and that that's actually interesting because like that then like the protecting Audrey actually opens up into like two things. One is the protecting her from the danger that is Jack. And the other is kind of is, is, um, is jealously guarding her from like Jack's like love bombs. Yeah, yeah indeed. Cause Jack is quite a love bomber. He does. He like lays it all out on the table. Then he flips the table over. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but when, when Jack is saying you can't bring back the ones you love, uh, past the past the Bowerian irony of him being on screen, brought back from the dead, uh, there is the sincerity that his relationship with Chloe is not the same, and you get the sense that you know when Jack, not were, but when 
Jack and Audrey meet again this season, if it happens, but it will happen, yeah. if it happens, but it'll definitely happen, um, that they won't be able to bring back the versions of themselves, right, that were capable of having a relationship with each other, which in and of itself was always somewhat dubious, because <laughs> she was kind of separated and not divorced, and he was like kind of heroin addicted or kind of not, it was kind of a rough time for everybody, Um we well, use the heroin addiction for half a day. <laughs> I know it's just a little, a little. We're gonna keep bringing that up. That heroin addiction is my cougars. It's like my sort of favorite absurd twenty four reference. Although there's plenty of others, um, like the device, which I always love. We got to see a device this episode. A bunch of wires and a motherboard, right? Uh, or in, in like a, a circuit board. And either yeah, and, the and, and the device was not configured in the same way as their device, so it'll take about an hour to get it online. <laughs> Classic twenty four. Love <laughs> yep. it. Love yeah, every yeah. minute of that. Like, well, that's that's not happening this episode, but it's definitely happening next episode. <laughs> and I also kind of want to do like so I, this is this is like a Belinky project because it's not the kind of thing that I would necessarily have like the patience or giddiness for. <laughs> but like all of the times in fiction where an engineer gives like a commander an estimate for how long it's supposed to take to do a given <laughs> job, and the commander is just like, "You have half that, right?" Or like, "Do it in less," or like you know, and it's just like. I mean, at a certain point, when you do it in, like, very sort of specific motivating circumstances, like when uh, when when Captain Kirk says it, you get the sense he's being kind of a prima donna, and he doesn't really understand or care that much, and, like, if it took Scotty as long as it took Scotty to do it, then Captain Kirk would probably be fine with it. Like, when Captain Picard says it, you get the sense that he actually really means it, and he's kind of weighed the number of times he's asked for this sort of thing, right? And it's like, well, you know, like... They, they, everybody's been on break. I've looked at this time cards and schedules. We can afford the overtime. Like, go for it, right? Although we don't have currency. I mean, but never mind. Um, but then, like, when Catelyn Stark here is like, do it in less. It's like, I feel like she just doesn't have any basis for the workflow of this sort of a thing. <laughs> Especially when the estimate is, like, an hour, and the thing that he has to do is, like, go to Radio Shack. Um, but, uh, because, like, Radio Shack might be far away, because they've closed a lot of stores lately, which is... Can't, you, can't you just send the footman? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, you're Mo- to, you're to go to Radio Shack. <laughs> oh, yes, sir, yes. Mosley, you're to accompany Jimmy to Radio Shack. <laughs> well, the, I, the Radio Shack, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, Jimmy, we can't go into a pub. We have to go to the Radio Shack. But, um... And the episode writes itself. Um, oh, I see there are many shacks popping up here these yeah. days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of refined manners, right? Speaking yeah. of, of refinement, one of the things I noticed, especially early on in this episode, is that Jack said damn it a lot softly. Like, <laughs> sometimes you've got to damn it softly. Sometimes you've got to damn it gently. Uh, but uh, but that they've really restrained themselves from having Jack yell damn it. Uh, every time that he gets, he runs into a dead end, right? Uh, not that he ever really did it all that super often, but it's a trademark, and so it would be very easy to lean on it. So they both want to lean on it, so he's saying it a lot, but they also don't want to lean on it too hard because 24 is like a revolving door of cliches, and you have to make sure you pick the right one at the right time, right? Uh, you, you can't just like use all the cliches all the time. You have to have a certain amount of variety. Uh, and so like we have the soft damnets, which I also sort of like have this sort of softer, gentler, not gentler, but the softer, like, maybe a little bit older, a little bit more mature, wiser Jack Bauer, who has kind of come to terms a little bit more with what it's like to get to a dead end in, like, a day-long investigation where you will soon have, like, five more leads. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Did you did you get any sense from sort of Jack's uh, attitude this episode and his, his temperament? Um, anything like I mean, that? 
I think that it's there. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of. I mean, in the car scene especially, um, you sort of see. I think that that's like interesting. Where I mean, I think there's a little bit of an understanding that these days are marathons rather than sprints, mm. or or a decision to take it in that way um, because he, um, you know, he's not the sprinter that he used to be right he used to like you know he used to what jack in his prime you know would like run a day of 24 like you know a middle distance race like the 800 meters right which is like a a long middle like a long distance you know it's a half mile um but you know professionals sprint it Mm -hmm. right and and so that that and jack would kind of do both right it would be speed and endurance um but you sort of see i see a little more kind of a little more patience um and obviously it's not extreme patience right the episode uh ends with jack uh starting starting a riot and and a rush through the embassy gate. yes it uh, starts with is... jack Benghaziing the uh <laughs> the u.s embassy in yeah. london which is pretty pretty heavy duty stuff um definitely yeah 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 where it's like well think about it right where it's like oh it's a bunch of protesters who say that the government is shooting at them but really it's a covert intelligence agent who is doing some sort of hostile thing uh that has murdered a bunch of civilians and is infiltrating the embassy for uh for clandestine reasons Uh, i thought that was pretty on the nose um yeah 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 yeah. no and so i think that um I think that what's interesting is that – I mean this gets back to the um, use of the, the damnets. Like in some ways, I guess when you were talking about the soft damnets and, and the, the use of the kind of cliches or the tropes, it made me think of like you know, a, a video game uh, or, or role-playing game in which you have kind of different levels. Like you, have, you have different factors that, that kind of as – when you use them, you like burn up the power and then you can recharge them gradually, right? And so I'm imagining that like the damn – you know, they're not hitting like the turbo button on the damn it meter because they know they're going um, to gonna, they're gonna wind it down. And so that, you know, that in some ways the, the craziness – and again, this is so. This is not like totally calm, slow play Jack Bauer, but there is a little bit more of a deployment, you know. So at the level of the show, a deployment of the um, the tropes, kind of with an eye to how long the season is, and 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 both that it's shorter than usual, but also in some ways, as a result, it might feel like a little like too much all the time if they're they're hitting them all at once. And then Jack Bauer as a whole is kind of you know again it's the same bag of tricks, um, but is deploying them slightly differently. So you're having a different relationship between this the you know it, it, w- the quiet dammits, whether or not you notice them make then you know the um, you know the Benghazi in London um, like that much louder right mm, and, yeah. and and that much more extreme right the the the, the contrast is uh is is higher um yeah go ahead oh yeah so i was also thinking about this uh in light when thinking about the Benghaziing and thinking about the contrast um one of another way of going rogue right uh is that i mean did you get this sense from the episode that the reason that jack's id badge didn't work was that the indian or pakistani girl in the open cell uh betrayed them um, do you think that was what happened? Or- no, my my understanding was um, is that the person that went rogue there was Adrian Cross. Oh, um, and so that my understanding uh, was that she did that 
on uh, on Adrian Cross's or- orders. Oh, okay, um, okay. And so, so that Adrian Cross went rogue uh, in part to is like, how do you solve a problem like Jack Bauer? Right, right. Um, and and so his um, his solution was to again, actually, it's very very similar um, to the um, to to uh, to Mark Bordeaux's, uh solution or to this uh, or to um, 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 K. Morgan's solution with Basher, which is like let him you know trigger somebody else who has the incentive and means to take care of it, right? So get him caught by the um, by the authorities, and then you don't have to deal with it anymore, right? So that it's kind of this weird. It's an interesting kind of torture by proxy, right? But you're not actually authorizing the person right so it's again there's a lot of these kinds of principal agent relationships but this is this interesting um class of principal agent relationships where you know you know that somebody already wants to do something right Mm -hmm. Uh, and and so that you just it's kind of like a um it's like a volleyball like you're setting it right it's it's you you're setting the thing up and then you could because you already know the person is is ready to spike it mm-hmm. you know they have the ability and interest in spiking and all you have to do is get it there and so then you get what you want without having to do it and you say no i i didn't spike i didn't you know i didn't um i didn't turn in jack bauer um i didn't or you know especially for um for Cross, right, you know, Cross has the, the great line earlier is that, you know, you have this curious way of asking for favors backed by a gun. Mm. Um, and he feels kind of backed into this and un- unhappy with being uh, implicated in this in part because it's, you know, working with governments and kind of governmenty types uh, more than his, um, you know, his, his anarchist, his, his cyber anarchist um, uh, sensibilities uh, really allow uh, or are comfortable with. Um, and so, but he doesn't, you know, both... He doesn't want to, um, you know, say no to Jack, or he can't say no to Jack, and he doesn't want Chloe to know. So, right, so, so, how I read that scene is, you know, this, this, you know, again, it's another one of these going rogue that, rather than, you know, ending it, it you know, c- creates the next little branching uh, of where this goes, right? And so, the plan was we get Jack in, he gets the device, um, but you know, because. Um, you know, be, because Adrian um, went rogue, that now, now we have, um, now we, now the 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 stream is diverted in a different direction, um, and yeah, and so that, and and again, you you can't see it coming in part because you know it's just it, it's always these it, it's not inconsistent, but it's it's surprising because it's just that people kind of see opportunities and and branch. Go yeah, ahead. it's interesting. So so there's when. When someone goes rogue in 24, the way that it often works is you, you're you in the physical confines and the institutional confines and kind of the discursive confines of whatever agency responsibility you have, yep. right? And there's a certain expected behavior that will allow you to be temporarily safe so that you can have character-building conversations and whatnot. <laughs> and then and then you go rogue, usually an alarm sounds or, like, or there's some ominous music, right? And, like, you do the thing that rem- would remove worse, either worse someone to know about it, or maybe they do know about it, would remove the protections and separate you from the discourses of this, this protective discourses of this place that you're in. And then you're in the, you're in the wild. You're in the no-man's land, right? 
right? Like you're, you're with you're you're with the mountain lion. Exactly, you're with the cougars, right? You are you are out of the space of safety. Like so, if someone had found that Mark had forged the president's signature, he would be in like incomprehensibly deep trouble, right? The kind of sort of deep trouble that does not often actually come home to roost in the twenty four universe, where it's like he would just be taken away by this by the secret service or or who have you, what have you, and just like locked up and never and never let out. Um, no. and, it, so, it doesn't happen in part because he will go rogue again before he gets caught, right? Like, yeah. if someone is getting close to catching him, he will then do something more extreme. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the, that's, the way that it often works, though, is that then there's this sort of – this unsettled period where the yeah. the person who has gone rogue has to negotiate a, a variety of threats to their, their safety and their agency. People trying to capture them, stop them, detect them, right? And there's this sense that the person is truly alone – Right, like, or you know, very much alone with whoever they yeah. happen to have bring along. Like in this case, Chris from The Wire, who is along with Kate. Which I, that blew my mind when I re- didn't realize that that's who it was. Right, oh, like, oh, um, it's it's blowing my mind right now. Yeah. <laughs> so for those oh. of you who haven't seen The Wire, in uh, the it's in the fourth se- fourth and fifth seasons of The Wire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a it's mostly in the fourth season, right? Um, is it mostly in the fourth season? I think. Chris and Snoop and Marlo. Uh, I, think, I think Chris shows up in three. In three, because he's because he's in the Marlo verse, which I think first shows up late in three, yeah. and then is increasingly big um, in in four and five. Yeah. So one of the one of the pairings in the wire is this this sort of hitman squad of these two uh, thugs, gangsters who work for this gang uh, led by this really just nefarious and soulless and cold fellow named Marlo, uh, and they go around murdering people and boarding them up into houses and. And, and it's a team, and it's it's Chris and Snoop, and Snoop is a youngish uh, woman, um, which is part of what makes the the pairing so uh, so provocative. And Chris is like a fairly button down kind of guy who dresses a little more business cash and has like a different world style kind of like uh, dreadlocky kind of hair, right? Like so yeah. he's he's like a different he has a different sort of socioeconomic signifier to his dress than everybody else around him. And then like Chris is a woman, and they're sort of these sort of outsiders who then go around and do all this violence to people. Um, and yeah, and so Chris is the guy who you now he has his head shaved a little bit. It's, it's gets the crew cut going on and he is now uh the reluctant partner of kate the uh the femme bauer who and somebody brought up uh in our comments last week that they compared kate to renee walker and um and i wanted to address that as long as we're on this this subject of you know uh them going rogue and what it means for them to go rogue um renee walker was was at the beginning um in this period where jack bauer goes rogue and renee like goes with him was very much like the reluctant person who didn't want to go with jack and kept trying to mm. get him to to stop right and then eventually she gets forced by circumstance and by getting closer to jack she comes to accept and think that it's okay that she herself can go rogue but that when she goes rogue it's like a departure from her core character right and isn't there like a a plot arc where she like can't handle that where she has like ptsd from going rogue yes yes um, in fact yes she cannot handle it she is she is totally overwhelmed and so in that sense she she's a mirror for jack but she's a mirror for like jack because she can't be what jack is and then there's that relationship where they have like a love plot right where it's like i can't be with you because i don't understand you or whatever um, and then she dies uh you know whatever <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But the thing with Kate, uh, to distinguish her from from Renee Walker, is that she is like 
totally into being Jack Bauer. And, like, without even knowing Jack Bauer, right? She is, like, she is actually like Jack Bauer. She she seems to have the same sort of pride in her job. She seems to have the same sort of general disregard for her own and the safety of others, right? Like, she doesn't seem to care much about, like, basic rules that most people follow for good reasons. Uh, and she also, like, she's very prickly. She's kind of, uh, she kind of resents anybody who kind of uh, questions her judgment or wants to neg- to have a discussion about a decision that she's made, right? Like, and she's also very passionate about arguing her, po- her point for things and will sort of, like, argue a point, get shot down, argue a point, get shot down, wait, do it anyway, right? Like, and, and it's, she's sort of, like, she's much more of, like, a spiritual, like, she could be a reincarnation of Jack if this were, like, a Tibetan show, which it isn't. But, uh, but she could be, like, the, the, the reincarnation of the Bauer Lama, Right, like uh, the next generation. <laughs> I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see, though, um, whether there's another kind of key Jack characteristic that we talked about um, uh, before lunch, uh, which is, uh, the, you know, his Jack's kind of not just patriotism, but, you know, that the way his reverence for the Constitution and the architecture of um, the American system of government. Yes. Um, and, 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 and that for, cause for Jack, that there is a kind of combination of that with kind of doing a good job, a kind of pleasure in agency, mm-hmm. um, that kind of fuse to, to kind of be a, and, and then, and then also kind of, you know, family as well, family and kind of those close to him. And so we'll, we'll actually see, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, how much um, Kate, like which of those uh, elements Kate has and which she doesn't. Because we haven't seen too many elements of the of of the patriotism. There's more about, you know, it, it seems so far we've just seen kind of competitiveness of just doing it. Like, you know, that we want to we want to win um, and we want to win because this is our team. Um, but Jack has this extra bit of and our team is the good team. Um, and, and there is something good about this, right? That there's these moral stakes, um, and that may or may not be important. Um, but it's, it's a, it's one, it's the, one of the differences, um, that we've, one of the, we've not seen her be, um, uh, Jack ish in, uh, in, in that way yet, but we, we may or may not see that, uh, as, as the day unfolds. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, one of the interesting things about, I always like to look at the costuming and particularly the haircuts, of people involved in television shows and in movies, because I feel like it's a way that the art director or the costume designer, that they communicate to us what they think about the relationships between the characters. So one of the interesting things about 24, uh, you know, Chloe and Jack aren't really a team for the first few seasons. And then they kind of team up around season three, and then from the rest of it out, with a couple of interruptions, like, they are the buddy cops who are, like, driving this whole thing. And the thing is that, you know, Chloe and Jack are both blonde, and pretty much everybody else in TCU, uh, CTU, except for Kim Bauer, who's also blonde, has dark hair, right? Um, right. And so there's this sense that, like, you know, the Bowers mm. have blonde hair, Chloe has blonde hair. Um, I'm not saying they're Super Saiyans or whatnot, but they're, but like, you know, when Jack is next to Tony Almeida, there's a very clear contrast that's being made. That even though they are friends, they are very different. Uh, they are, they are separate from each other because, and of course, Audrey has blonde hair. Audrey's with Jack, right? Like, Ray Walker had red hair to show that she was kind of like halfway in, halfway out. Well, but, and uh, so, and so this season, um, uh, Chloe has dark hair and eyeliner. Yes. This season, Chloe has really created a really big distance between herself and Jack. Most by changing her hair color and by and by wearing makeup, which is not never. I mean, she wore makeup before, but I mean, like by wearing like you know 
emo makeup. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Like anarchist raccoon makeup. <laughs> yes, yes. Which she's quite a bit too old to pull off. Um, but which I think in that scene where she's talking about Morris in the car, like the 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 makeup made it all the sadder. Right, because yeah, it's like definitely. here is she trying to sort of recreate a life for herself from the last time that she knew how to be alone, right? Which was like when she was younger, or something along those lines, and she just has no idea what she's doing. Because um, unless she's on drugs, in which case then I would get it. But it's like that's, you know, it looks great in the advertisements, but in the show it really looks like her makeup is kind of sad and desperate, which is the point that they're going for, right? Um, that she's in, she's alienated. But yeah, but 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 Kate has blonde hair, and Kate. Like wears uh, Kate sometimes wears like a gray cardigan. Um, often at the same time that Jack wears wears a gray T-shirt, um, and Kate wears a black uh, jacket. Uh, and Jack often also wears a black jacket. Yeah. So it's interesting to take a look at the similarities in the way that they're dressed. And also, if you look at um, the most for me, the sort of signature Bauer gesture, as much as we joke about. Um, you know, grabbing people by the lapels and throwing them up against walls or yelling at people or flipping over tables. For me, the sort of signature Bauer gesture is the very precise and controlled intensity with which Jack Bauer holds a gun when he's walking down a hallway. Like right. there's a way that he holds the gun looking down the, the sight of the gun and it, there's a there's a real – there's like a line that's projected that's almost always angular to the frame in some way and, and sort of slices the frame of like – and j- it just shows Jack's sort of like – he, that he's the true north, that he's like the true there, – there's a very huh. clear cut that is being made through what is happening. And if you look – I'm looking at a Google image search of Kate right now, and it looks like she appears to hold the gun in a way that is an imitation. I mean, of course, maybe there's only so many ways to hold a gun. But like, but Jack also holds it with like a crook in his elbow, right? So he like – he holds it with a crook in his elbow at about three-quarter distance looking over the top of the side of the gun. And of course like maybe this is the right way to do it. Maybe it isn't. Um, I mean I figure maybe with your arm straighter. I don't even know. But, but it's uh, also about how it is – I mean it's an interesting thing and we've talked about this a little bit. It's, it's a kind of a combination of you know of, of Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland's you know, physical acting and then the cinematography. And they're kind of – you know, at this point um, you know, they're, they're kind of fused really well so that you know he holds the gun in a particular way um and then it's shot in a particular way so even if you know there are ways in which one holds a gun you know that the way the the you know this kind of jack stance um is is i think a thing um and it's it's kind of composed of the physicality and um and the cinematography right it's, it's kind of jointly um it, it's kind of um it, yeah it's it's mutually constituted yeah. um and so i think uh, there's something there and so if you know we we see um kate uh like looking like that or echoing that it's not an accident like you say um yeah, so yeah, i think that that's that's very interesting yeah so um, so kate goes rogue in much the same way that jack bauer used to go rogue back when he worked for ctu so she's providing that sort of familiar experience except it's with the cia who happens to have all the ctu's old furniture and lighting equipment but right? not their phones i i no. you know i <laughs> right i definitely i really noticed uh when her when her phone rang and it was navarro uh, uh, kind of chewing her out for going rogue. That it was not that um that familiar, you know, doot doot. Yeah, the, da- the down ring, right from yep, from yep. CTU. Um, yep, yep, yep. And so that was uh, you know, I guess it can't all be familiar. Yeah. I, by the way, I how much did you love? I mean, I certainly loved it when uh, when Chris from the Wire was trying to talk Kate out of her 
ridiculousness with Basher, and he's like, what do you think they're going to think when they find a couple of CIA agents have done this? Right? Like, uh, like just right. yelling it out in the middle of the street in front of the hostage, uh, in front of the gangster hostage, that it's like, we're CIA agents! <laughs> uh, I just, I love, I love 24 because it knows that it's important for the audience to know that, and it's right. willing to dispense with the, you know, the suspension of disbelief, and, and just, like, says it and commits to it. Like, the line is not is not said quietly. He doesn't whisper it. It's said, like, really loud in front of everybody so everybody knows what's going on. It, it basically feels like an improv scene, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> like, uh, oh, thanks, Mom! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so so we've gone through a bunch of the ways that we go, we go rogue. How Kate went rogue, how Mark went rogue. Uh, I guess Basher went rogue at one point because he betrayed the other... The other criminal group. Oh, 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 I wanted to go back to my, my description because I was describing the process of going rogue when we got yeah. sidetracked by talking about Renee Walker and all this we, stuff. We went, we went rogue on our train of thought. Indeed. Okay, so to circle back on that. So you're in the confines, the physical and intellectual confines of a particular sort of space. You go rogue by which you commit some sort of, um, sort, some sort of, you know, primordial Edenian sin that casts you out, That's right? Cool. That like, that like you are out of the garden. You are no longer safe at CTU. Like you have to go out into the world and work for your bread and there's wailing and gnashing of teeth right and so there's this time where if maybe it's jack by himself or jack and renee walker or whoever it happens to be is like you know it's open season on this person this person is not safe at any point anyone could figure out what's going on and this person would be in deep deep trouble and then there usually comes some sort of kind of some sort of perch some sort of like island in the ocean some sort of 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 uh emergent non-rogueness where the rogue person meets up with other rogue people um and and creates uh, or joins a nascent sort of institution and and discursive body that has its own yeah. rules and its own facilities for self-protection right and this is like the the uh the cross organization for Jack and Chloe where it's like okay we're working with these guys so we're we're momentarily safe and we have enough resources to divert outwardly to other things without always have to be worrying about people chasing us right um and so yeah. the sense for um for for Kate right is that like at a certain point her relationship with the CIA is going to become entirely untenable right it's already pretty bad but at a certain point it's going to become entirely untenable and she's probably going to have to like find somebody else that she can team up with there's... And it will probably be Jack. It'll probably at be Jack some... Bauer at some yeah, yeah. point. No, 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 um, exactly. And what's what, what's interesting though, and then is within these kind of once you have the new kind of organization, um, then you um, then then that creates uh, like a new kind of uh, framework with which someone can go rogue, and it probably it may be the original rogue goer, right? You, sometimes you just have people who just go rogue. Um, you know, Jack is one who like you know whenever there's a organizational structure that's not suiting him anymore or who's not you know that is not serving rightness he will go rogue but again as in this episode um you know you have this island um and then uh, adrian cross goes rogue right yeah. and, and 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 again it's more he's adrian cross has not yet kind of cast himself off in this way but it's more like i again we're using lots of kind of uh metaphors i kind of almost imagine like a what are they, like a kind of a sun flare or something like that, like a kind of a leap off of the island of order uh, into yeah. kind of um, into into like the air of chaos, but then like rejoining uh, in the in the short term, if that makes sense. So I don't know. It's very interesting. I mean, I think there's like you know this could be a much larger uh, uh, a topic, but 
this actually echoes something that I was thinking of um, when uh, when I was watching this episode is that I mean we've talked about I, I think you've talked about this uh, a little bit uh, with reference to other uh, properties and you can kind of maybe explain the thought process um, but like the thing thinking about um, and you know correct me if I gain this entirely wrong but kind of um, drama being about people changing and uh, and comedy being about people staying the same um, and then and there's like ways in which 24 actually in some ways operates almost as a situation comedy yes yes <laughs> uh, and and that and and then like the, I guess the middle ground of kind of typologies of kind of story type or kind of genre type um, is you know we've talked a lot about on um, it, you know, a little bit in writing on overthinking it and um, especially on our recaps of of community uh, you know the community makes a lot of having this story a, a story circle which is actually not unlike the rogue cycle of <laughs> of kind of someone making a decision um, you know uh, and and kind of returning having paid some kind of a price uh, and it's a big element of Dan Harmon uh, the creator of communities um, approach to storytelling um, and and that's a kind of a, a um, mode that kind of bridges some elements of this dramatic you know storytelling of, of about people changing or a, a dramatic or kind of you know tragic storytelling and a comedic storytelling of of people you know being who they are and kind of react and, and then living in these um in these situations and so i i, I think that that's um i don't know do, do you want to kind of talk about i, I again i kind of ham-fistedly um, paraphrased, um, I think some some stuff that we've we, that the we and I mean the collective we of um, of, of overthinking that have talked about at various um, points uh, in, uh, in in discussing various properties. But I found that this was like an interesting element of um, of, of twenty four, and I think that it, it was a lot of what um, I, I was seeing in kind of rogue going of what kind of story twenty four is and what a twenty four story is. I don't know. Does that resonate at all with your kind of? You know how you're kind of characterizing rogue going? Yeah, sure, definitely. I, I mean, I definitely, I'm, I'm one of the big advocates for that way of thinking of, you know, dramas about people changing, comedy is about people staying the same, and this idea that by going rogue and coming home again is it's something that happens in situation comedies. I mean, how many mm-hmm. episodes of like I'm yeah. thinking about like you know the episode of Full House where. DJ drives the car into the kitchen, or is it Stephanie that drives the car into the kitchen, right? Or the episode of Family Matters where Urkel drives the car into the garage, right? Like any of the <laughs> or the episode of Twenty Four where, where Jack drives the riot into the embassy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's that like yeah. you know the the character does something that kind of casts them out of Eden, right? And then the rest of the episode is about first their efforts to avoid detection, right? And then maybe their efforts if they feel they're temporarily safe to to, to like you know, accomplish some other sort of thing that then overreaches itself. And then at the end, the the family, right, the family coming to them and, like, accepting them back, often when they sort of have returned, either having apologized or having done some sort of, like, awesomer thing that, you know, obviates them of previous guilt, right, where it's like, you know, I don't even know if I were to use that word right, but just this, the idea that it's like, you know, oh, Urkel, you know, fixed the machine that did the thing and now everybody likes him again right like urkel can come home now right Right. because everything is okay and this idea of like leaving and coming back it's it's, you know it's very hobbitish there and back again right i think that that is essentially comedic uh and it's essentially it's essentially you know a, a a background for romances and for 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 a sort of coming of age story that tends to have a kind of happy and familiar sort of ending, if a if a Bill Sung's roman right like a coming of age story as another sort of story trope is about a um 
a you know a child who grows into an adolescence and then kind of gets cast out and has to somehow find their way back into the social order you know and then then through that they change right, right. like um right. the question is do they change right and right. that's cuz cuz there's there's this cyclicality to it which can be very easily funny and very easily comedic where it's like oh no like we love you we love you for all your faults you're back you know it's going to keep going the way that it's been going and then there's the way where you can come back and you can be different and nothing can be the same and then that's much more dramatic and i right. think that 24 likes to i almost i'm imagining it like <laughs> i'm like having a visual of like a slinky with like a string through the middle right where like the <laughs> yeah. string isn't actually touching the slinky, right? Where, like, the slinky is sort of, like, bouncy, and it kind of, like, goes from one place to another, stretched out. It would contract again if you took the pressure off of it, right? But in the middle of it, there's this string that's, like, tilted down, right? And and so, if that's the case, the slinky is the 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 action, the main plot action of the terrorism plot of 24. It goes around and around, it comes and goes, it sort of arcs in a general sort of direction, but at the end, it's a circle right like in the end like it can collapse and everything is the same as it was at the beginning there's something cyclical to it um whereas this there's always well there's often there's not always there's often a dramatic plot baked into an episode of 24 which has an arc that's much more about people changing and and it often feels tacked on like i take glee and how tacked on it feels because it's like there is a tension between the two the various different sorts of genre influences but like you know situational comedy, buddy cop comedy, right? Like, like yeah. there isn't all that much that's separating, as I've said in the, the site before, lethal weapon from the Hurt Locker, right? Yep. Where, and one is, the latter is, is presum- you know, presumptive, a presumptive drama, and the former is a presumptive comedy. But, like, in which one does his wife die, right? The answer is in right. lethal weapon. But, because, um, <laughs> like, that's, you know, not in the Hurt Locker, because the wife only eats cereal in that. But at any rate... um but in the Hurt Locker too. Yeah. <laughs> in Hurt Locker, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but anyway, so yeah, so I feel like that Twenty Four is a, is a is a comedic shell. It's like an action comedy shell that has that is farcical at times, um, but is is its tone is so serious that the farcicalness of it just has this giddiness to it, and this this there's this visceral enjoyment of it that's uh, that doesn't really seem funny in the conventional sense even though i laugh at it all the time uh like if you re- re- if you pay attention to how you actually react to 24 while you're watching it you might be surprised by how funny it is right it's really no, what I, i'm saying i yeah. mean I, I mean that's i i think that also bolsters my interpretation of like you know i think that it's one is tempted to just assume that it's a campy drama um uh but really it's much more um, it, 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 but like really some of the laughs come, I think what we've kind of been covered from that it actually has um, the um, you know the structure of, um, of a comedy. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing to, to discover. Mm. Um, so and I think that we'll probably can, uh, continue to discover that uh, as, our, as our day goes on. Mm. Um, but I mean, I know, I mean, you know, my lunch, uh, you know, my, my Chipotle burrito has, um, has digested a bit. Uh, I'm getting, I, I'm really getting that need for my, uh, for my one, uh, you know, for my, um, for my coffee, for my afternoon mm. coffee. So right. I think, I mean, you know, I, I'm almost ready to take a breather from, uh, from, you know, from recapping, uh, before we dive into our next hour. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. Uh, that's fine with me. Um, so yeah, so overthinking it is a great place to find information about all the sorts of stuff that you like about pop culture and about uh, intellectualism and all sorts of other fun stuff. Um, 
gosh, yeah, you can subscribe to this podcast on audio. Uh, if you're listening to it on the site, you know, you can subscribe there. You could put us on an RSS feed, catch our other TV recaps of uh, Game of Thrones and Community. Uh, gosh, yeah, they've got all sorts of great content, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it just will go on and on forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan, um, Pete, it's Matt. Wait, what, Matt? Matt Rather, Matt, editor in chief, what are thinking you doing here? <laughs> I don't have time to tell you what I'm doing here, but there's something important that you have to know, what? and it changes everything. 